Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. The year in question, 1982. The film competing for that illustrious position as greatest movie of that year is The Thing. Tonight, we will be, uh, I will be hosting a game show. My name is Ryan. Thank you so much for having me tonight. I will be hosting a game show-like thing where I will have two contestants come on in a gladiator-style battle to see who is the best at talking about the thing. The first contestant is Mike. I'm drinking wine and got nothing but time. I'm here to fucking win the thing. Are you going to win this tonight? I'm de- declaring it. Okay, because this is a horror movie. This is sort of your jam, right? Yes. More my jam than Greg's jelly. <laughs> well, we don't even know who the second contestant is, Mike. Maybe I invited oh, somebody could else. Could be anybody. Tonight. Kurt Russell. <laughs> I hey, think if everybody. it was Kurt Russell, you could destroy him. About it's this me, movie. Kurt Russell. How's everyone doing? All right, let me uh, open up the other door into the Gladiator Arena to reveal that it is, in fact, Greg. Oh, it's not Kurt Russell. It's me. You, I looked like Kurt Russell briefly, but then I assumed my normal, regular Greg form, which, of course, Wait. is Greg-shaped. I got to change shapes. I got to say, Greg, you are much more of a Wyatt Russell. <laughs> well, you know what? He's the young one now, so I'm all for it. Young and every bit as hot as his dad, right, everyone? <laughs> he really got this dreaminess. Did, neither of you watched Under the Banner of Heaven, did you? No. no. He's fucking terrifying. Is he? More so than yeah. in Captain America and Falcon and Winter Equally. Soldier. The, the people, like, he can be handsome and fine, but the people who are like, no, I think there's strange murder behind his eyes i i think that that made him work for winter or yeah for whatever that show was called the falcon and captain america like him as soon as you see him you're like oh okay i see exactly what kind of deranged person this is gonna turn out to be he just triples down on under the banner of heaven because now he has god on his side i do have to say that we we gotta get um lodge 49 back everybody we gotta, yeah. we gotta get it back. Write those letters. Yeah. Except keep... all the fans are like not letter writers. They're like, that'd be cool, right? Yeah, they're like, if it worked out <laughs> that way, if the universe had that in mind for us, that'd be cool. I feel like every day we get away from Lodge 49 being canceled, the closer we are to getting it back, right? Just, it just gets closer and closer. You go down the it. ladder, yeah. but eventually you're going up you the ladder. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree with that. Ladder yeah. 49, that's a John Travolta firefighting movie. Maybe they could do something together crossover yeah shared universe shared universe guys so hot to do a shared universe um (laughs) this is quite the movie not just what's on screen but it's history i want to get into all of it but before we do that um mike had you seen the thing before and what do you think about it in general uh i had seen it this is was one of the weird blind spots and then in mid pandemic when my wife and i were living in a one-bedroom apartment we would one of us would go get an airbnb for a weekend and so I bought a big bottle of scotch and watched The Thing. A good uh, movie alone. for having a bottle of scotch. <laughs> yeah. uh, and for being I alone like, I need by yourself. get this off my end. I fr- so many times when you see an old-ass movie for the first time, you're like, I don't know. But I fucking loved it. And that was only like a year ago. And so it could have you know, dirtied my perception this time because it's like, oh, I remember this stuff. But nope. Freaking love this movie. Mad that I haven't watched it my whole life so I could have it memorized at this point. Uh <laughs> It's like my favorite movie I've seen as an adult, maybe. Greg, from like the olden times. Greg, you've um, 
declared often on the show how not a how uh, like you're a bit of a scaredy boy. I'm afraid of the scary movies, Ryan. We've moved past Poltergeist. Yeah, you got through that. Yeah, um, and we moved. Which your nephew called like a uh, a starter horror movie that he would uh, start his nine year old brother on, <laughs> yeah. as if it were some type of sort of ATV or something. Yeah, I'd, I'd start him on this one. And then now we're past the thing. Yeah. Um, did the scaredyness sort of cloud your vision or help it out? Uh, for me, uh, it the scaredyness of it, um, it's weird. It, it, it's, it's scary and it's very tense, but it's so tense that it almost is more tense than scary. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hadn't seen it because I was definitely afraid of it. I'm glad I didn't see it as a kid. I think... I think this would have effed me up pretty hard as a kid. Um, the, the some of the special effects we'll get into them, but um, they work on a number of levels. Let's say, uh, <laughs> but as just like a movie, there the opening shot of this film is just the the uh, after the the spaceship crashes and we establish that we're like in Antarctica. The opening shot is just of the side of a mountain. And it already, I was so gripped. And then a helicopter flies over that and starts shooting at a dog. And from that moment on. I found the movie incredibly engrossing, um, gross and engrossing. There were literally times where I couldn't look at the screen the first time I watched it. Um, but as soon as I was done, I was like, I want to watch that again and see if I can kind of figure out what's going on. I'm not totally sure I have figured everything out about it. I'm not sure it's totally, it's all there to be figured out, but the process of having to lean in so close to a movie that is so tense and unpleasant at times, um, it's got everything you need to be kind of hooked and I don't think it's going to win movie of the year necessarily, but it was one of the more, I don't know, engrossing. I, guess, I, I keep saying it, but like I was just, I, I enjoyed it. But more than that, I was compelled by it. It's a very compelling movie. Yeah, I would say that um, sometimes I get a little phone checky. Right. During yes. um, some of these set pieces in these movies. Uh, not necessarily for the Elite Eight that we do in the season, but for some of the bonus shows and the sidebars, I'm like, oh, boy. The hand will hover. Yeah. Wins. <laughs> it tries to do it on its own. Let me see how much longer is in this movie. My and attention is yours to lose, movie. <laughs> <laughs> but not in this one. I like This is a jam-packed couple of hours. And like Just- the camera, the way it moves, the way it moves through space, the way it moves from face to face, the way it even moved across the face of that mountain in the establishing shot... It's just like you feel like it grabs your head and just says, look at this. And you just do. You know, you feel like you don't want to look away. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. And then we're going to actually take apart as if there's tentacles inside of it. And maybe all of a sudden this mouth yeah, that dude. will just come and like start eating people. Uh, we're going to do that to the movie The Thing. In the mid-70s, Universal Pictures decided it was time to dust off an old short story called Who Goes There that RKO had had success in the 50s with called The Thing from Another Planet. They wanted to hire Toby Hooper, who had just made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but didn't love his ideas. Instead, they put him on Poltergeist. Fun fact, The Thing from Another World was directed by Christian Nibby, but many people say it was mostly directed by its producer Howard Hawks, similar to the rumors surrounding Poltergeist. Universal had initially talked to John Carpenter, but he was an independent filmmaker, and Hooper was under contract. They returned to Carpenter, who didn't want to remake a classic, but had a couple of ideas. One, the monster of the 1951 film wasn't memorable, and Carpenter thought he could change that. Also, Carpenter saw an element of the short story that wasn't in the original movie. He thought the story felt like an Agatha Christie's and then there were none. 
and thought he could bring that into the world of horror sci-fi. The movie opened two weeks after mega-hit E.T. was released and was a notorious flop. It received scathing reviews by critics and was named the worst movie of all time by the film magazine Cinefantastique. Hmm. But it was also released at the dawn of home video and became a cult hit. Quentin Tarantino, who wrote and directed Reservoir Dogs, a movie about a group of people getting increasingly paranoid in a single room, The Hateful Eight, about a group of people getting increasingly paranoid in a single room in a snow-covered wasteland, also starring Kurt Russell, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, heavily featuring a blowtorch, (laughs) was apparently a fan of the thing. The movie spent the 80s and 90s becoming a cult classic before spending this century becoming a flat-out classic. Taste buds, I ask you this. What about watching this movie in 2022 makes the canonizing of this film make sense to you? It, I don't know if in 82 or beforehand people were ready for a movie that is not happy ever. (laughs) (laughs) And what, yeah, refuses to give you the relief of like, well, this is going to work out on Mm -hmm. one level or, well, we've learned something here. And it doesn't even give you the relief of like, here is what it's attacking these guys. It doesn't give you the relief of like, well, you know for sure that it has ended all right. Like it never offers you a little bit of solace at all. No, it, it's crazy how early in the movie, Kurt Russell turns to like the five people left alive and he goes like, well, we're all going to die. And then there's so much more movie after that. Like, <laughs> Which is like in a movie like this, one of the most realistic things you could possibly say. Like, yeah. Of course we're all going to die. Look where we are. Look what's attacking yeah. us. One of the He's, ways this thing gets you is it convinces you that there's there's no hope. Like, right. if you think about that, Blair, I think, well, we can talk about this sort of stuff, but Blair, well before he has been replaced, uh, is just like, this thing is so deadly based on my 1982 computer projections that I'm going to go destroy all our communications equipment, destroy yeah. our helicopter. Like, part of what it does, for better or for worse, is it makes you quit right away and be like well there's nothing i can do but wait to be eaten by this thing it's nice to see me finally in a horror movie because people are always like in scream people are like running and they've been stabbed and keep fighting nah man kill me now i will just into the mall especially like in 2022 2022 mike 2010 mike was like we're gonna conquer the world and we're gonna do it 2022 mike is like oh you want to see a movie tonight why why fuck it like this doesn't none of this matters anymore also like (laughs) i i think that the sort of um paranoia at the heart of the movie was very forward looking Mm -hmm. there is a threat um there is a danger here but ultimately the number one danger and greg invented this i'm the first one to say it the number one danger is the the turning on each other right is the yeah true monster of the walking dead the, the, the zombies, yeah, oh, the zombies, zombies yeah, around because right? the, they'll bite yeah, you. And, they, like they, they'll and like brains. once they bite you, that hurts you. That but, makes sense. There's you know, so Kurt Russell says, uh, or McCready says at one point, like you know, we're all turning on each other. Like we're all isolated, and we're all nobody, and nobody trusts uh, each other. And then he goes back and he records over that, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just one of the many little things this movie does that like, you like can't get out of your head later. Like the fact that he went back and he's like, I'm just going to amend the record. I want us to look like heroes. But that that was something that I think was blossoming. In 82, and artists and filmmakers felt it coming more than it had fully set in yet. And now we are on the other side of that extreme push towards individualism that has left us not being able to see the world from each other's points of view, Mm -hmm. to be ultimately isolated, and to be sort of one by one picked off because of our isolation. And so in that way, I think that that we've enshrined it in a way because it captured feelings that were in the process of growing over the 40 years since the movie has come out. It it almost like... 
surpasses racism or all yeah. these isms. Like, no, no, no. Eventually, we're going to hate so much that it, it doesn't matter who you are. We're just going to hate each other. And yeah, then we're going to kill each other. Because you're not me. The solipsistic right. way of life. Yes, exactly. So, like, my biggest ism is meism, and you're not me. Yeah, like, there's 12 of us now, and there's a problem. There's eight of us now, and there's a problem. There's four of us now, and there's a problem. As long as there's fucking two of us, there's, there's a, problem. a problem. And that's why the movie ends with two characters staring at each other. Because as long as there's more than one, there's there's an issue. But even what I love, the movie hints that it doesn't go full, full bore into it, Work. but, like... It's hard to tell if the people who are the thing know that they are the thing. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're going to have to spend a lot of time, I think, talking about what the rules are. Because I know that they said on camera, I know that they said, like, behind the camera, actors were saying the only way this works is if we don't know that we're uh-huh. the thing. And there are many parts of the movie you could point out where, like, why would but, they do this? Which makes it a $15 million game of Mafia. Yes. <laughs> exactly and just carpenter is the the referee or whatever that guy's called i do i do think there's a way in which like john carpenter's always been very um sort of like obscure about like what the answers are to things sometimes he comes in very hard for one answer sometimes he'll say like it's up to the audience mm-hmm. i do think there's a chance that there's no way to make all of this necessarily cohere and i don't think the movie i don't think it matters no, one, it doesn't matter. Two, he yeah. said he knows and he will literally never tell. He said that he, like a few yeah. years ago. But he said a million. He has said if you go back, you could find him say a different thing about this right. movie. Every time he's asked a question about it, he will give either a definitive answer that is contradictory or he'll uh-huh. be like, I'll never tell. I have the real answer if you guys want it. Uh, if we come up with a real answer, it will keep us from doing cool shit. Yeah. Let's do cool shit. That's yes. the kind of movie we're That's making. why the monster can spread in like three different ways. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> there's a giant there's a big theory online that I found out this week about there's actually two monsters and they're both one is inside of Kurt Russell, one's inside of Keith David at the end. Uh, the only way the movie makes logical sense is if there's two monsters competing against each other, which turns it into an alien competition movie as much as a human competition That's, movie. To me, that to me that ultimately oh. does make the most sense is that if this thing breaks into pieces, right. and part of what it does is those pieces actually compete with each other. My big question is: Is there an intelligence behind it, or is it, or like is a it cancer? Is it so instinctual that it uses the intelligences of things it absorbs, but it itself is not ultimately really intelligent because its only its only goal seems to be to spread. It seems yeah. more like a virus than something driven by intelligence. Which I think does bring up stuff from the 80s and stuff from now of like... Oh, are there two big viruses in the 80s and now? <laughs> well, there is that, but I was talking politically. Of a this. virus that maybe you couldn't tell if anybody had it. So there's, it's bringing up multiple things from the 80s. But um, I think that all of the Cold War stuff that the 80s was sort of trying not to be scared of, uh, that part I don't care about as much as just the generic paranoia that humans right. will get, like we talked about, that this movie is just showing in a very short time, but completely accurately. But I think that's why in the 80s it didn't do well is because Cold War was going on. They were trying to ostrich. And right. they didn't have the skills that certain sects of governments have to now we had taken like a utopian turn and so that's what we wanted either utopia or something that um like questioned utopia Mm -hmm. not something that just said like that concept is as far if there's people there's no utopia (laughs) yeah right right? and that's why it's like that's why it's antarctica right like we can't even fucking go outside like this place is so hostile to us that there's nowhere for us even to go and it's like what you said mike it denies any sort of like sense of comfort in that way so does that does that mean that you guys do sort of agree with the thing that E.T. had only been out for two weeks, but it did have something to do with it because people were like, this is E.T. This is what we need right now. Yeah. People said all this movie was was gore and paranoia. 
And I think it's because they had, yeah, just gotten this vision of like this perfect world Alien movie. And in 82, we really thought that that's what we were doing. You know, like if we could just prevail against this one evil force, communism, mm-hmm. and we were basically getting there. We were right. just, you know, we were like right on the cusp of, of achieving victory there. Then we would have surpassed all the problems and that we the country existed in this progressive, like we were always getting better all the time. Mm-hmm. And this movie is like, no, we're not because here is a movie that's remade from the '50s based on a like um, a, a short story that came out before then, and it connects all of these things, and it says that the progress is sort of on the surface and not into the deep, like core of humans, right. because the deep core of humans is rotten, is mistrustful, uh, yeah. and selfish, and violent. Because and we're yeah. like the thing, right? We like the, the the thing separates and competes with itself, and that's what we do. We ultimately always separate. And compete with ourselves, mm-hmm. and, we, and it keeps us from achieving any sort of like higher. And we never won't be like we'll always find a new thing to be angry at with our neighbor because it's in our DNA to do that to find the conflict to find the problem. So if we are to achieve, let's say all of the things that Republicans want to do right now, that's not the end. It's not like okay, we've achieved this like perfect state. There will just be more things. Yeah, yeah. right. Because it was like right after Roe that like it's just like what's the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're we're still pissed. Every every victory achieved by the right comes with their being completely pissed off at having right. won they, it. They, they, their attacks on trans folks launched even bigger now. Anybody who's slightly allied or in the LGBT community, they are calling them groomers. Like it is, it is. They are a voracious, angry maw that wants to eat things. And then on the other side, now liberals. You you put twelve liberals inside of a room. And one's like, wait, you're, what'd you just say? You're not liberal enough. And now we're all attacking each other to the point where we're all dust yeah. as well. Yeah, because the purity test is causing us to just force people to live outside in, in little ice shacks where they're more exposed than ever before right. by the bad new, guys. New remake, 12 Simpy Men. <laughs> I love it. Um, so the fact that this this became a cult classic we talked about how home video super helped it out and then cable helped it out i don't know how the three of us avoided it until last year so i was scared of it ryan okay i don't know how me and mike avoided it until (laughs) last year when mike was finally forced to watch it and then i had to watch it this you know this week um but does it we sort of talked about what the 80s were like what 1982 specifically was like and why it was denied back then but does it make sense to you now that we would just go back and say, like, nope, not this one. This one is special. Yeah, I, I think with the there's something so punk rock about this kind of horror and like the people who said it's just paranoia and gore. One, it's more than that. But two, fuck yeah. Like, I <laughs> like it because it's uncomfortable. Right? It's punk, so bitch. Th- th- there's like a, a punkness to horror that like uh, Return of the Living Dead fully leans into but in this and so in the 90s people going back and be like oh no i want this i don't want your cheesy fucking et everybody's happy i want to be especially like the 90s gave rise to life so boring if you have a job and so look for the discomfort uh and so i think it with that you're just renting the thing that is grossest and like oh i heard this one's so gross nobody liked it watch it and then you're in middle school and you're like hell yeah also it starts with vhs but then moves right into the modern era because 
this is a movie that's like I could see being very cool in the theaters. But you know what's really cool about this movie is it makes you want to go back and watch scenes and be like, who was there? Wait, who was there and right. who wasn't there? Okay, wait. Uh, look, look at him right here. He's a lot in the shadow. What are they trying to tell me by the shadow? Wait, there's a glint in this guy's eye, but not a glint in this guy's eye. Look at the coats here. Look at the boots here. Now look at the coat that he's wearing here. It's the initial, uh, I have cards on the wall. The yarn, yarn, the red yarn, the Charlie Day, right? Like, the, the, How deep does this thing go? And they made it so that it would be like that. And people lean in and then get into it, and they want to then see every angle slowed down, and they want to see every shot. And I think Carpenter's messing with people because I think a lot of times it's just he doesn't know the answer because they're not out there. Right. But just the questions are so engrossing, and I think it helps if you can go back and rewatch scenes over and over and over again. I found one of the times I watched this movie, I actually watched it backwards because I was like, okay, that's the thing now. So when did this when did this person become the thing? Okay, probably here. And then go back a little further. Who's the thing at this point? Okay, are there two things now? <laughs> I think there I really do for the the level of chaos to work. I think there are a couple of things even though the chaos sets off. When the okay, cuz the there, there have to be at least two because when the dog the dog is the thing, right? Uh-huh. And then it goes and you see someone's shadow and John Carpenter does this thing where something very important is happening and the audience knows something very important is happening, but he's like, and we're fading away. <laughs> what? Yeah, no. <laughs> There's like eight different times where something really important is happening and he's like, we're just going to not like know what's going on here. I'm just going to go back to sleep. Um, and then that person obviously I, I guess is is Norris the the ch- the chubby guy whose belly turns into the monster but like there has to be two at that point right we see the dog like standing on a shelf watching the helicopter yeah. land after that so the dog is still the thing um but the it's like these conversations this is what's made it a cult classic mm-hmm. the fact that after this is, this episode is over Ryan and I are probably going to go outside and still talk about like well what's this what's this and like just it, ignore me yeah, Which is what well, you guys do when the mics are off. Like you have to clean up the studio. <laughs> it's your it's week, true. but uh, like it gets inside you, just like the thing really would. Yeah, online it's there's like a whole speak that I didn't know about of like who was Palmer the mechanic, and who was Palmer Thing. Yeah, when Dog Palmer, Thing when Palmer is not you know Palmer anymore, and yeah, the exact minute that that happens, uh, I like it better when uh, they're underground and dude, we're not sure when. Let's say. Who's the guy with the rollerblades and the or the roller skates yeah. in the first scene? Uh, it starts with an N. It's like Neil, but it's not that new wall or something. Yeah, and then we're like, when, when does he turn? And then Wilford Brimley just slides. Oh over. my god, <laughs> dude! It's like I bet you're about to become the thing, dude. He's <laughs> he's suddenly just there. Oh man! <laughs> or when they go, they go <laughs> under his hut, and he's dug. Out, oh, yeah. like a little place and he made a flying saucer how many how long this movie never stops with like the what the hell is going on so wilford brimley is down there making a flying saucer out of helicopter parts and, and then running up the ladder mrs doubtfire style and saying like hey i'm okay you need to let me back in that building oh you're everybody's not going dangerous to? but you well, and me everybody's me... dangerous all right fine you're not gonna let me come come come, come, come. space it space it space it let me back in don't you see i've decorated with a noose <laughs> yeah like, don't you see that, that I, so I contemplated that hanging my... They don't say anything about it. They don't say a single freaking thing about it. This guy obviously got to the point where he's like, oh shit, I got to kill myself. And then was like, no, I don't. Nah. And then he's, I would like to come back inside now. <laughs> no! No, sir. You can't I, I, come back inside. I think or Kurt the, Russell's, like, his line is like, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Maybe. One of the the genius things is in this cast every there's no character that you could get confused you might not remember everybody's names but everybody is so distinct oh yeah looks wise and personality wise so 
you're like, okay, they have a tick in the beginning of the movie. Does that yeah. tick remain through? Like they're and they're already uncomfortable with each other before the thing hits. You can already see tensions in there. Yeah, for sure. Because if it's just, I mean, if there's just twelve dudes living in a station, they're already tense. They're already dramatic. Uh, despite what the cultural messages might be, any group of man, any group of men is also absolutely full of trauma and weirdness. Right. I so, like, they're a... already at each other's throats, probably. But th- this movie also does a thing that is classic in comic books of ending every line with the character's name, which I, yes. like, didn't bring false. Like, I really appreciated it doing that. No, I think it helps the sure. audience follow along, Ryan. Yeah. It does, Greg. <laughs> Greg Thing it, or just Greg? Uh, well, I, I, I'm going with Still... Mike Thing right now. <laughs> no, I think it's Greg Thing is about to shoot Twizzlers out of his nose and strangle you i don't like twizzlers so that you sound like a fool i'm gonna say mike thing because right now you're making my heart sing <laughs> oh <laughs> we're uh, on that note we're gonna take a break and when we come back who are like the most important people that were born in 1982 mount rushmore now it's time for my favorite rush my second favorite rushmore obviously my first favorite is those four heads of presidents on that mountain well, guys patriot they got elected president and they led this country. They and did I bet it. They only did good things and nary a bad. They did it, man. They led the country. I mean, did you try to run for president when they ran? You would have lost. You would have lost. Because they won. You're going to give speeches off the back of a train for three hours? No, you're not. <laughs> With little kids running for no. three hours after that train. <laughs> Should we slow Stop down? the train, no. fools. They want politics. They will jog after Earn the train. It. Well, it would have been funny if the train stopped real quick. Start again. <laughs> Lincoln just steps on the eight-year-old's head. I love interacting with voters. All right, we are going to do the 1982 babies. The babies of 1982. You had to be born in 1982 to make this mountain. Hey, the Is Rushmore that any of us? Babies. Not um, I. We all avoided this, right? Yeah. yeah. That's good because I've, I've found through a little bit of research that if you were born in 1982, you are a smoke show. And I got to say, that's not really the case for any of the three of us. I don't know. I think in thing circles, I'm actually considered pretty attractive. <laughs> I got the tentacles for days. All right. We do have a Ryan special. You would get double points if you say this person. Greg, you're up first. Who was born in 1982? I hope the person that you're thinking of is one of the most beautiful, enchanting, interesting, and hilarious people any of us has ever had the privilege to meet or know. Yes, I'm, of course, speaking of my wife, born in January of 1982, so it counts. By a hair. By just a hair. Would not be the man I am today if not for my sweet wife, Kelly. And I think that there's a good chance that that's who you were thinking of, Ryan? Mike. No, it seems like it's not, Mike. (laughs) So if you had Kelly, I'm sorry, you just shouldn't say it. You know what, Mike? If you say Kelly right now, I will give you. I'll put I assume. I think if I said it, I would get points and she'd be on the mountain. <laughs> All right, Mike, you're up. I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna go for the obvious ones. I'm gonna try to hunt for the Ryan one right now. Nice. Uh, That's pretty cool. I'll do the same thing, Mike. Loved her in uh, "You're the Worst," and then she crushed it in the what was that musical show with Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams. Fosse and oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah but uh, Aya Cash one of the wait are you are you trying to hunt for the Ryan one or the Mike one? I was trying to hunt for the Ryan one. It's a it's a redhead you could love, Ryan. This is what you say every time you go to an ATM, right? Yeah, Aya Cash. 
<laughs> I get cash. <laughs> that's it. That's a good one. Uh, she's very short, and I think that helps you out to make the mountain. But I'm gonna put it on the maybe for now. Great. What if it's just like the top of her head on the mountain? <laughs> just like sorry. I know that part anywhere. <laughs> Should have stood on the stool. Um. Well, I will also try to hunt for the Ryan one, and I'm going to guess that Ryan, you are a. Uh, let fan. me give you a clue. Okay. This mountain is going to be all women, except for the the Ryan one is a man. Oh shit! Okay. The Ryan one is a man. Um. Basketball superstar Dwayne Wade was born in 1982. Now, you may think of Dwayne Wade as being associated with the uh, LeBron, James, and Chris Bosh. Not one, not two, not three Miami playoff teams. But he was also the star of the Miami team in, I think, 02 or 03. I can't remember which it was now. But uh, where he was teamed up with Shaquille O'Neal. And in the finals... And did everything? In the yeah, because they're like we got Shaq now. Here we go. Uh, bring out Shaq and just let him let, let him go to work. Uh, and Shaq wasn't bad that year, but he wasn't necessarily Shaq. But in the finals, go back and look up the stats for Dwayne Wade in the finals. They are super Saiyan. Like this guy went absolutely nuts and literally took years off his career, careening into the the lane and bouncing off people, um, scoring from just everywhere, and being a one man wrecking crew for that that Heat team. So I'm going Dwayne Wade. And then also, of course, the LeBron, the LeBron James teams, the, the South Beach teams um, from like uh, 07 and 08 and stuff. But I was more impressed with his performance in the, the first finals he went to. Uh, this person is an actor and not an athlete. Okay. Maybe Pyle. Dwayne Wade, I think. You I know, bet if you talked for a few more minutes, you might have gotten him on there. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give as much credit to Dwayne Wade. I don't know if I'm going to have another chance was to he talk in, about. Was he in Space Jam? Probably not. The I next one. So. Yeah, uh, LeBron James like I want to make sure I'm the best actor in my movie. <laughs> Mike, uh, she has been a phenomenal actress for the last thirty years. We've seen her actually be a good kid actress. Uh, she's done weird indies. She's done goofy ass comedies, teen comedies like rom com bullshit, hard hitting dramas. Uh, she can do it all. In 1982, it's Kirsten Dunst Ryan. Ooh, Mike, that's not Mike the one, but right. she's on for sure. Big Kirsten Dunst fans here Dunst. in this household. Is that because you look like Jesse Plemons? <laughs> ah. In a nice way. That was not a burn. Mike. <laughs> kind of dropped the ball there. It was out of my mouth, and I was like, no. <laughs> you meant Jesse Plemons 10 years ago. Jesse Plemons 10 years ago. <laughs> All right, Greg, you're up. All right. So, you think anywhere doing a, the wife or Dwayne Wade? How about this? I have been uh, told I look like this man my since he first popped into pop culture and he and i have had some ups and downs uh we've each gone through some phases we've each gone through some sizes but ultimately i believe now seth rogan is considered very sexy mm-hmm. and people have still said that i that they that i remind them of him so i think that that's very nice that he could actually uh because i don't know if you remember but when seth rogan was first around very round and curly and it was just like nobody was was there for it he didn't know how to act for like the first half of his career yeah. he sort of picked it up along the way he's just very very funny he was so funny in ad-libbing and freaks and geeks that, that basically saved his career uh, long enough for him to take off and uh yeah i'm just really happy to to have Seth Rogen in my life, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so I was hoping you would do your laugh. <laughs> yeah, in uh, Freaks he, and Geeks, it seems like he lost Make-A-Wish if it was a contest and was forced <laughs> to be on a show. I 
feel like there's a different loss to make a wish. But uh, Seth Rogen, Kirsten Dunst already took a spot, so I have to leave Seth Rogen off well, on the maybe pile. We'll see what happens. Mike? <laughs> this doesn't sound great, though. What do you got? <laughs> uh, let's say she is British. She's the captain of our hearts and is soon going to be a captain within the MCU, and we've seen it a couple times. Haley Atwell. Mm, close, Mike, uh, on the maybe. Greg? We could just go to speed round. Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj, lover. Probably that's she, she might be on it, uh, maybe. Mike? Uh, I know you love legion and you love the remake of beauty and the beast dan stevens dan stevens he's a maybe greg jessica beale jessica beale she's a maybe pop filter hall of famer because she is one of the cast members of happy endings alicia cuthbert 1982 mike mike wow that's who it was dang that, that's, alex from happy endings that's one of them there might be more bonus ones. Elisha Cuthbert on the mountain. Greg, it's your turn. David Diggs from everybody's favorite musical of all time, Hamilton. Still killing it. Uncontroversial choice. That's a maybe. Mike? Uh, Gillian Jacobs. That's a maybe. I'm fucking out of people, dude. <laughs> Should I just rattle more off? Did I say Kelly yet? Yes. Uh, <laughs> jumping right from Gillian Jacobs to Allison Brie. Uh, that's a maybe. I already said Dan Stevens. Sebastian Stan. That's a maybe. Lizzie Kaplan. Uh, that's a maybe. Anne Hathaway. That's a maybe. I'm out. Oh, wait. I had Anne Hathaway on mine. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Could have said another name. Are you done, Mike? Yeah, I'm out. Just fill it up, man. Just keep going. I talked about Dwayne Wade for too long, obviously. Oh, well. But it was a speed <laughs> round. Hold forth. Your Rushmore of 82 Babies is Kirsten Dunst, Elisha Cuthbert, Damon Waynes Jr., and Adam Pally. They That's, were all born in 82? They were. Adam Pally. Oh, I, man. I was so incredible. Close. I thought Mike had it in the palm of his hand when he said Elisha Cuthbert, and I gave him two fucking votes, uh, or two points. Um, that was named the official greatest show of the pop filter. That's true. Decade yeah. that we've been around. Or I'm sorry, 11 years. Um, and yeah, Mike, you could have basically won the show oh, farts. if you had just figured that out, but you did not. I mean, I guess I also could have just yeah, started saying <laughs> I had already counted you out. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, more about The Thing. Well, that is very, very funny, or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Taste Buds, we did such a good job of talking around this in the first segment. Uh, now it's time. Love them or hate them, the monster effects of the thing remain the most iconic part about it. Do they add or take away from the message of the movie and the overall enjoyment of the movie? Do they add or take away from the overall enjoyment i can't tell uh i guess here's it for me personally um i was blown away by the effort that must have gone into them i think mm -hmm. that people at the time who complained about the special effects were so locked into like seeing these puppet special effects and they didn't like them anymore that they really didn't do a good job of being like these are amazing <laughs> these are actually very very realistic looking and but you know what you can say though with a little nuance some of them are yeah, that's something you could say mm. is that sometimes they sometimes it's like uh, I right. I feel like the ones in this movie in terms of like looking cool or whatever did a pretty good job. I did feel like the grossness of them 
was over the top, and I didn't. They were so goopy. They Just were that, so. They put like a level of shine and goop on all of it. And there's it. a part. They made it so much grosser. There's a part where one of the things or the thing very clearly is just trying to be gross. It doesn't even <laughs> like it opens up one mouth and then a weird sack comes yeah. out and then that oh, bursts yeah. and then a second mouth think, comes out and it's just like that's not even helping you do anything. Thing. I would have straight up said, "Come on, yeah, dude." That's the when we first meet the thing and it's in the dog pound and then yes. The the autopsy thing. Those are the ones where it's just like I'm gonna fucking gross you freaks out. The so autopsy bad right is now. nuts. Wilford Brimley just stomach turns into claws. handling this like <laughs> oatmeal like substance. It's the thing is the thing the about thing the thing. Is, I don't. How come nobody the, in the movie was like, "Here's the thing." Here's the attacking. thing about getting my head bitten off. It's not always scary, but it's always dope looking. I agree. And that's, I think, people were like, oh, this puppet didn't scare me, so it's bad. No, look at it. It looks awesome. Yeah, like, when that head grows its own little spider legs and then tries yes. to, like, whistle and walk away, that's like, don't funny. worry about me. <laughs> but, but it's so good. It's, like, it's such a cool... And I, I think it's, like, a that's a split diopter, right? So, yeah. And so <laughs> Kurt and the little bug are both in focus. Yes. And Kurt Russell is looking away from the bug being like, I'm glad we got it and we clearly got yes. it and it's clearly and dead. the weird thing is... That's that's a joke. Like that That's a setup thing. joke. Yeah, yes. and it ve- it's very funny in the movie. The movie has like a couple of laugh out loud parts and that's definitely one of them. And that's also another weird moment where it's like, wait, if Palmer's the thing then, why is he the one that's like, hey, look at the head! Mm-hmm. It's yeah. walking away. Maybe because he's competing with it, right? Maybe, who knows? And uh, Palmer does a thing where he turns and looks at it and can't say anything to Mac. Like, yeah, he can't right. be like, "Hey, big boss, cool guy, look it right there." But like, I don't know. In, in terms of the special effects being transportive, they were <laughs> like when that thing, uh, when the um, the the heavy set guy thing, like the head pops off. Yeah. The, one of his heads pops off, I guess, and it jumps up onto the ceiling, and then it's like a snake crab thing with this guy's head on it. Like that right. moment. Looks awesome. It doesn't look like it's. It doesn't look like it's really him. It doesn't really like right. you're not confused, but it looks cool. <laughs> Whoa, did uh, they kill that guy? Is it cooler, cooler than the guy in Poltergeist pulling his face apart? Does it look closer to him than that? Honestly, that this the effects dunk on that particular effect so hard because that effect yeah. it's almost like the movie saying like, well, you can't make a face that looks real. No, dude, this twenty two year old kid. Crew went, yeah, that basically <laughs> gave up all his health to work on these special effects. He found a way to do it. You just have to have the right level of commitment. I think the guy who plays Norris, whose name I can't remember, like he is entrenched in the if not the Hollywood Hall of Fame, the Planet Hollywood Hall of Fame. Uh huh. In that, like, you know how Michael Keaton got that uh, snake. Yeah. head of him and Beetlejuice. Norris right. has that head. Like, that's forever somewhere. Yeah, like, dude. You know, in, in a very famous movie, very famous effects, that guy who played Norris, his head came up and started waving around. I think that's a big deal. <laughs> I think that actually matters. But when I concentrated on the grossness of it, I was like, what is the point of how icky all of this is? Now, I'm as manly a man as the next man, but... I really found it after a while just distasteful, like bags of viscera being like pushed through things. And I read that they even tried to tone down how much it looked like blood after a while because they were like, we're going too, we're going a little <laughs> nuts with the gore here. Like, what's the goal? What What are we doing here? Is it just to like make young boys excited or is there a message or does there have to be or are cool effects enough? I think, I think, yeah, I don't think everything means anything. I think cool effects are enough and exciting and titillating, making it uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable to look at. And again, so much of this movie 
is about life is uncomfortable. And even though this is combinations of weird teeth and bones, all we are is this thing inside of us. Like, and at a certain point he's like, the organs are the organs. And so anytime things are exploding, it's like, they're just mismatching stuff. That's real. We are disgusting sacks of blood. And (laughs) yeah, I guess we're just like sacks of of chemicals, but you know, I'll tell you something that really did work for me in terms of the effect, something that like, I, I, several times I was really blown away by is there are moments where you're looking at the thing and you're not even really sure what you're seeing a lot of times because it's just such a mishmash of different types of DNA mm-hmm. but you will suddenly as your eyes wander across it you will light on a human face in the middle of it and the face looks terrified and agonized right. in a way that like really really was effective like it's not just that you get turned into soup by this thing and that's freaky and awful obviously like the split-faced one looks like really both sides of that look horrified in their own way there are parts where you just see like the side of the thing and you can see faces looking out at you and their horror and their pain is really like affecting <laughs> like it, I, you I, feel I, it you make eye contact with these things i mean think about it every time they walk into a new room and there's not that many rooms right and also they've had a hell of a night like they you, <laughs> right when you think that they're getting used to things they go into the room and they're like and we see their face first before we see what they yes. see and they're like what the fuck is happening right now yeah what am i even looking at it's interesting <laughs> you say like there aren't that many rooms part of what is done really well in this is like uh no with, way of telling without giving a lot of time over to it. Um, Carpenter gives you a little like rundown of exactly how the rooms relate to one another in such a way that you can use it to try to figure out where people are going at different times. But like, which is why I've heard this has been turned into an incredible board game. Dude, it must be such a good, like it really would be like, and that's because you're like, and I think that's why to go back to the, the video thing, because you can be like, okay, if we know that these two rooms are next to each other and we know this figure is moving at speed, who could it possibly be? It like it opens up to that because you can know what the floor plan is just by watching the movie a couple times. This is also one of the, the big influences of uh, early pandemic runaway phone game Among Us. Mm. Oh, yeah. Some of the levels were even the straight snow. And I want to talk about that, like the, the effects, not just of the, the gore, which is the obvious go-to special effects, but all the pyrotechnic effects and the snow and effects and how they use that to obscure stuff. All of, None of that, none of the fire or the snow is ever eye rolling or like, that looks a little dumb. That shit is always dope as hell. Oh, yeah. And the tunnels, uh, when they're blowing up the whole compound, they said they really just had real assi- camera assistants in there doing that running, like somebody grabbing their shirt and pulling them away that's that's the kind of stick and determination modern hollywood does not have is put your 22 year old acne ridden camera assistant in danger to get that shot speaking of acne can we talk about acme the way that dynamite is used in this movie hell they yeah become dude. looney tune characters yeah dude if you they come near me <laughs> i will light up this dynamite in two seconds don't even step to me at all if you keep coming near me after that, I will drop an anvil on your head so <laughs> fast. <laughs> so what um, do you guys see like Carpenter trying to recreate or be in context with, in conversation with a lot of the movies at that time, but sort of almost creating elevated horror like he had done with Halloween and the slasher film of like, maybe the reason for the gore is because I want to get the audience that goes to see these movies all the time, but also tell this story. Like I want to compete with the, I want to compete with all movies, the mm. the shitty B movies and the movies that people allegedly think are good. Does that make any sense? 
Oh yeah, totally. I think that the, it gives it, it it gives it broad appeal, but then you just lose that appeal at times. But I think part of why this movie is a as a cult favorite is that there is something for everybody. If you like right. head scratching sci fi, that's actually what this movie is because it doesn't give you answers. And a lot of people, that's what they go to sci fi for is to have these really crazy oh, questions right. posed to them. Yeah, and then I guess gore is is the flip side of that, right? right? You want the young the young people to come in and and watch it the thing that i'm still blown away by is it just it feels like that was the number one thing people looked at and just said this is a b movie and is bad because mm-hmm. only bad movies would have this much gore in them right but and that feels like as from a design perspective you're only a couple years out of the xenomorphs right and yeah. and there's the b movie how do you change it and you're like fuck you then i'll throw it'll feel almost not designed how designed it is there will be just like a, a blob of teeth and bone and that is its own specific and then that went on to you know inspire so many other looks because it's body horror in such a different way than like a killer predator alien yeah i think you're a couple of ways uh years away from alien and then you're a couple years away from sam raimi and so i think this is like the the bridge but you're a couple years after alien right a couple years after yeah alien. because i feel like this movie like they're like at some point at least in the marketing they were like okay alien's a thing mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna get some of that sweet alien coin and it, i think it seemed trendy at the time to say that aliens way smarter and now looking back i think that they are about on the same level as far as the canon goes the south pole a couple people can i have to say screen. i just i just watched alien very recently my wife and i it was just a pandemic thing really? just same thing yeah we watched all of the alien movies it makes me so happy uh and i have to say um i loved alien and it's definitely very thought-provoking sci-fi but i would definitely say that this movie leads to as much you know thinking and and questioning and talks as much about like the nature of people and everything i i think this is every bit the movie that alien is are you alien or aliens I liked Alien more. I liked the idea of... I like a much smaller scale. I like, you know, mm-hmm. one person who is not a warrior who's thrust into this role and has to figure it out. One monster trying to contain it. Um, I like that rather than, you know, we got a whole infestation here. I think you start to lose a little bit of the scope when you do that. Like Alien or Aliens? Uh, alien as well huh. i mean i think it's very mood dependent but if like you have to choose which one is better i think aliens. also I, aliens is a fucking fun i really like the like space trucker part of it the like space blue collar workers and that you get so much uh-huh. more of that in alien like it just really feels like you are living with just normal folks and this is what it would right. be like in the in the grim future because <laughs> alien the the real bad guys the corpos are right so yeah. like <laughs> and then obvious follow-up question mike uh 1982's The Thing or 2011's The Thing prequel? I've not seen that yet. You haven't seen 1982's The Thing? Mike, that I'm was not. for the you show. I've been, I've been talking you about... Not be you been guys said Kurt right Russell. Now. I was like, I don't know who that is, but Mary, you mean Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So not only have you not watched The Thing, you don't know who Kurt Russell is. Greg, uh, for you, is it 82's Thing or do you love the 2011 one? I know exactly one thing about the 2011 one. You kind of alluded to it and that it's a, a prequel which I think I'm assuming must be kind of like a, a, a twist that's that's shown in the movie. I love it that was idea. A twist, I believe. I love that idea I'm, though, like that we're gonna show what happened at the other station before right. they got over here. I'm pretty sure I remember three year old Twitter spoiling 2011's the thing. I I totally forgot that it existed before this week. Same here, right. and I yeah, yes. I think the the fact that they talk about the Norwegian expedition is the only thing that's actually interesting or noteworthy about the movie at all. 2011 and then. When they when they get to the Norwegian base and they zoom in on like the base number, I'm like, oh, I bet it's so cool when you 
they reveal that it's that base number, the 2011 version of the movie. <laughs> 2011 to like 2014 was just like the thing. Point Break, Total Recall, these are all movies. And like none of them made a blip on the radar. Like yeah. they just thought uh, it has the same title, isn't that My Bloody Valentine? Uh, yeah, there's a lot. We're gonna take First a break. It's on 3D. My Bloody Valentine 3D it was awful. We're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we are going to actually send maybe somebody, maybe nobody, into the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far, and let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! And we are here in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame, the hallowed halls. Mike, uh, you said that you went to the uh, souvenir shop mm-hmm. right when we got here, and you got us all a little something to take with us on our trip, a little snack or something. What did you get from the Pop Filter Hall of Fame snack shop? Well, Ryan, I got you Steven Spiel chips. <laughs> Chip shaped like Steven Spielberg's head. I got it. Yeah. Each one. And it, they didn't market it like this, or they didn't like. That's not how the factory works. They fig- they found all the chips that look just yes. like this guy's head. Yeah, they didn't they didn't make them. This is like secondhand chips, but they're this still tasty. This is shit that Johnny Carson would go crazy for in 1968. Oh, Johnny Carson would love this. Yeah, I don't know what any of that means, but he would love this. <laughs> so all talk shows back in the day was like, oh, I have chips that look like other people. Yeah, yeah the world used to be so boring and easy and greg i got you pixar sticks which is just straight colored sugar that you can snort however you see fit thank you well i mean snort however you see fit that's so that's right nostril or left nostril or the butt or the butt butt snorting are your kids butt snorting (laughs) here's one way to tell now we're rocking down these halls we see uh of course the the woody bust of Of course for pixar and we see um steven spielberg here represented um is there anybody that you guys want to add into this Hall of Fame? Mike, we'll start with you. Who is nope. not in here that should be? Nobody. Perfect Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jokes. Moving on to Greg. <laughs> Jokes. Uh, <laughs> Jokes should be in the Hall of Fame. You know what? I would, I would vote for that. Just no, jokes. jokes. That's the kind of thing I would think would be great, and then you guys would be like, no. Jokes is just something we all went to when we were in high school separately. You don't fucking talk about jokes anymore. Classic progressive insurance. And example. then we continue to bring it up for like years and years. And that's why I'm going to go with a safe but not too safe pitch. I wanted to do a reason for the season, but not the way he thought. But the day we're recording, instead I went, no, Ryan's going to scream it for me. He's going to say this is just the Spielberg of music, and I don't want that. But here's an actor who, since he hit the scene, we have loved him. He's been a Bluth. 
He's been an executive assistant to a Veep, and he plays uh, the amazingly horrific Doctor Psycho and Harley Quinn. It's Tony Hale. I Tony think Hale. Tony Hale is a slept-on comedic genius. Uh, he's such a good character actor, and he can do... I was going to say it all. He can do a few very specific things so well. But he can do them. Hail, hail, Tony he Hale. Um, I, is his best moment uh, when Julia Louis-Dreyfus wins an Emmy, and he also comes up and stands behind her <laughs> and yes! hands her notes the entire time? <laughs> That's a, Who knows? Oh, probably they worked that out, but who knows? They're both just so funny. That I they assume they that. worked that out. <laughs> she routinely won the award. I'm sure she had a plan for what would happen. <laughs> Uh, Greg, he's, to- he's so freaking funny. Tony Hale has been nominated, Greg. What do you got? Uh, I also have a comedy man, uh, but one who did it for longer and left us too soon. Um, you may remember him from the Christopher Guest movies, but he even found his way into the show's, one of the our, our show's favorite shows, which is... Uh, shows. I, I think you should leave shows. Uh, where he played the music man, the organ man, Fred Willard, uh, who I quote in so many forms. Um, to and it makes my it can make my dad laugh, it can make my wife laugh, it can make my boys laugh. And it was just like he showed up in the things that you were watching. And this is obviously a guy who showed up ready to work and to improvise because often the funniest things he did, there is no way at any point that was written in the script. And you just got what Willard wanted to give you that day. <laughs> you get what, you Willard, get what wants. Willard wants. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he has passed on to the great show beyond. Uh, but I miss him. And I think it would be nice to see his bust every uh, time I walk through the hall. He was in Wally, not voicing the character. He was in oh, Wally. Yeah. yeah, as a human being. He was a human, human being in that Pixar movie. And that is fucking fucked up. And things style, they just didn't explain it. They're just like, <laughs> whatever. Who cares? Fuck you. He has Wally's tentacles that come out of his mouth. <laughs> what right. happened yes what happened? dude that's the one that ultimately we so, used to so do that and a lot of other phrases but we had to stop I that don't think you so. a cult. i got a wheel wet wagon <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm gonna go with somebody along the lines of actually both you guys who has just been in all of our stuff um but i don't think it's talked about a lot um as we're getting to the end of 2022, believe it or not, and we're about to do the best of TV, um, there's a show that I watch regularly that I don't think is going to be on a lot of lists, and I'm going to try to force it on to the end of the list called Breeders. This person, Martin Freeman, has oh. not just been the star of this show and is amazing on this show, but he has also been the star of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He has been... As a- such a little baby Freeman... An integral part of the Lord of the Rings movies. An integral part of the MCU movies. The British Office. Uh, and he also created... He was the stu- He was the uh, gym of the British Office. Martin Freeman's thumbprint on pop culture, as, we, as the three of us know it, I think has been huge. He was also in the Sherlock Holmes uh, mm-hmm. BBC show that no one but me or my wife liked. He was uh, a Sean of the Dead. I believe he was Sean's doppelganger when they met the other group who Which looked makes exactly sense like to me. them. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, in the British office, because he's British, instead of being Jim, he's Tim. Right, he is Tim. Yeah, he's That's Tim. how you well, say his full Jim. name is Tim, isn't it? <laughs> Governor. So those are our nominees. We have Tony Hale, we have Fred Willard, and we have Martin Freeman. Mm. Gentlemen, place your votes in your head. Okay. You have a maximum of two. You have a minimum oh, of shit. zero. You could straight up say... 
none of these fools. Even no to mine. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to start with Tony Hale. This week. Mike, is Tony Hale in the Hall of Fame? Yes. There's a bird. <laughs> oh shit! That was a very compelling argument. Also, uh, Army had half. Day. Army had half. Day. Army that's, had half day. That's that is a, the the best day of my life. I, I've married the love of my life. Right? I've I've gotten to know you guys. We've done so many fun things. The best day of my life is when I was in Army and I got sent home early, and I had to hold back any giggles. And my roommate said, "Why are you home?" I got to say, "Army had half day, mother." <laughs> <laughs> Greg is Tony Hale in. No, not for not for Greg, and not for Ryan. Let's move on to Fred Willard. Greg. I wish we hadn't invited him just to watch. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks, Tony. You're a great so sport. Dirty. That's really all. I do think you could leave now, though. Like, I don't but know. He why was gesturing to the mic. Should we have put him on? No. Yeah. Because we only have oh, these no. mics, and yeah, right. I'm not giving up. These mine. are ours. <laughs> My mic is no, so. No, he full brought of his spin. own. <laughs> yeah, he's even trying to plug. Get it, but buddy, he doesn't have a cord. Over, man. Though. You got to get out of here. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is really sad. Greg Fred Willard is he in? I say yes. I actually give an emphatic yes. I I've thought about this before. I didn't think it would go over well. Uh, I'm in for sure. Mike, it's it's weird how much we do talk about that. There's stuff for whatever reason we do not talk about because I had no idea that the two of you also loved Fred Willard. So. I do think so. <laughs> Fred Willard is in the Hall <laughs> yeah, of Fame. Yeah. Uh, he's also a uh, Amy's father on Everybody Loves Raymond. Make sure you check that out on Peacock. You can only watch Everybody Loves Raymond if you pay for Peacock. He's so. Phil Dunphy's dad in Modern Family. Oh, if you're a, uh, like a 2010 sitcom yeah, and dude. dad, you call He's Fred fucking Willard. He worked, and but, I mean, he worked right up to the end. Like, th- yeah. there was a short gap in between when he appeared as the music man in I Think You Should Leave and when he appeared as a corpse at his own funeral. Now, uh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> he, put in a, he put in an appearance. Wait, there. was he in that? He was in that. Skip and he was really good. I think you should leave. Coffin flops. Yeah, was he a coffin flopper? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, he did a live rendition of it. <laughs> Mike, you were out of votes, but I will say Martin Freeman to you. Would you like to vote for him? I you cannot. Can. Okay, Greg, Martin Freeman. Yeah, I even throw in the Hobbit movies, Ryan. I celebrate his work in the Hobbit movies. Write to me if you want to, fans. Say something to me about that. I would love Is, it. This this could be the first thing that pisses off the Greg heads. Yeah, <laughs> we are turning against you. <laughs> But he's the best part of those Hobbit movies. And I will also vote for Martin Freeman, which means, Martin, you are not in this season. Tony Hale, you are not in this season. But Fred Willard makes it in and so deserving. Honestly, like, I don't think we would have Schitt's Creek, right? No. That's the kind of actor that he was. He's the male Jennifer Coolidge. Hi. Congratulations to Fred Willard and his entire family and estate. When we come back, back to the thing. Taste Buds, we have to talk about the masculinity of the movie because it would be difficult to talk about the ladies. What is Carpenter (laughs) trying to tell us about this group of men and men in general? I heard that there was one woman cast member and that she was pregnant and had to leave to have her baby and they replaced her with a man. So that... For all intents and purposes, this is this is a man-made man extravaganza, 
And then well, I don't feel once one woman gets pregnant, you don't want to recast. Because what if the second one gets pregnant too? <laughs> it's catching. There is another woman in the movie. Can anybody name her? It is John Carpenter's wife. Yeah, the voice the of the chess computer's voice, who gets called a bitch and gets a drink thrown in her face that destroys when her. She emasculates Kurt Russell. There's also pinup girls on the wall, and Ooh. then uh, in the big scene where he's testing everyone's blood. There's a poster behind him referencing VD from like World War II, and it says like "Watch out, they're not labeled mates or chums," meaning you know like "Watch out, we don't you don't know what women have VD troops." And but besides that, which all seems to be kind of like these weird, it's all men, and then there's these weird sort of like anti you know these misogynistic messages. Then the movie itself doesn't seem to engage with that a lot like Mm. no one ever says like and we can tell the monster is a lady or i never i didn't (laughs) feel i didn't feel like the men were all it was supposed to be that they're all getting girlfriends and so that's why they become different people and then disappear from your lives forever or anything like that i didn't feel like the movie picked up something that it obviously went out of its way to do which is just good this is all lads this is just a time for the gents it's 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 even though it's a scientific research page, it's very militaristic, right? They call each other by their last names. There's a captain in charge. There's that kind of hierarchy. It just felt so often we notice these things and it's like, it was just so old, but this one, it didn't ring false to me because of the militaristic nature and the era it was filmed in that. It's like, yeah, I think if you have 12 dudes in isolation for six months, the commander who's probably still in DC with the fat cats would not put a woman in the middle of that. Those goddamn DC fat cats. I agree with Mike. And also, I think that if there was a woman character, she would have been like, well, why don't we just communicate? Yeah. And they got shot immediately. Because couldn't they just start talking to each other to see if they could figure out who the thing is? They never just try to chat each other up to see, like, well, maybe we can stump each other. That's why I think Carpenter is being like, look at what happens when men are together. When it's just boys. Yeah. it starts right away. You can tell it's communication because the Norwegians show up trying to shoot a dog. Not cool with that. And then he's just screaming in Norwegian at them. Just And it's nice to see somebody like Americans always just talking American louder. Yeah. And so it feels like that's what he's doing to them. He's just screaming Norwegian and shooting instead of communicating. And at that point, you're like, oh, this mo- whole movie is going to be about communication. It's and never. Guys can't do it. It's never said. And I think I feel like I do this with a lot of movies and vet this sort of headcanon. But I really feel like part of what is working for the thing as like an entity is that it somehow scrambles people's minds a little bit. Um, I don't think anybody is in their right work. mind, which is why the, cause you can actually translate the Norwegian and this guy is literally shouting like, get away from that dog. What are you doing? Right. It's not a dog, bro. These are Americans. We don't even speak the languages of the adjacent countries. We have literally <laughs> no idea what somebody is saying in Norwegian. Kurt Russell thought you were Swedish the entire film. We don't know. I eat tacos lingua, and you think <laughs> I'm going to fucking speak Norwegian? You're talking to but, a dude who houses quesadillas. Yeah, like, come on. You, they, they, it doesn't even matter that, like, these are white people, too. Like, typically in a movie from this time, I would think that, like, it would be uh, POCs that come in in this helicopter, and that's when they're like, all right, we're going to blast these people away. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's uh, Norwegians who were like, uh, we think that this dog is an alien, unfortunately, in a different language. And they're like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Fuck you. And then the No, they don't say fuck you first. The Norwegians is shooting at them. And then we Which uh, is wrong. The old man is which but it is like if they had been able to say, 
I think right. there's an alien in this dog, or I know there's an alien in this dog. It could have solved a lot of problems. Yeah. Gary, Gary kills a Norwegian, but that's after one of his own men has been shot in the leg. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if a guy is walking through your camp discharging a rifle, this is why guns are so scary, because honestly, what do you do when somebody is walking through your camp firing a gun? No. Don't well, you have to take out people? And it's one of those things that, as a viewer, you're like, I wouldn't do that. But yes, you would. Most of these people just dive and lay on the snow, still right in front of him. In their mind, I guess he'll shoot me here now. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't hide. They're just like, ah, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> but um, I, I think that, you know, in a, in a weird way, that highlights, like, you're doing, he's doing the right-ish thing. And that's yes. what's pro- that's the problem with always anticipating everything as an attack and needing to meet it as an attack mm-hmm. is that you accidentally shoot the the wrong guy in the brain and, in and you get to brain. a certain point too where like i think it's keith david towards the end when Knowles comes in and says i found this patch of max clothes right so i'm pretty sure that he's an alien and somebody's like well keith david what if he isn't and he's like i don't fucking care dude yeah like, it, it, it almost sets up at a certain point like he's he's definitely an antagonist to mccready who is our protagonist but for a lot of it I'm on child's side uh. because at this point we've already killed other humans. McCready might be it. If none of us are going to get out, let's just kill a person who might be it and keep moving. Plus, I think all of this is summed up so hard in the tie, tie them to the couch scene where uh-huh. not only do we have men screaming about being tied to the couch, like that is the worst thing ever. Just shoot me. Just shoot me yeah. if you're going right. to tie me to the couch. But then also all three of them are tied to the same couch and one of them goes thingy yeah dude and so the other two are just tied and it's bouncing up and down with the two of them screaming because and that that, you know honestly you can in that scene you can tell that the actors decided that you don't know if you're the thing or not because everybody like when they find out that they're not the thing they look so relieved oh yeah like they weren't sure whether or not and honestly uh the guy who is revealed to be the thing in that scene he doesn't react. You would think he would react kind of right. early because they're going to – he doesn't react until it's absolutely revealed as if he himself didn't know until that moment that that's what was going on. That's why even even if it wasn't stated, even if they didn't say it like every morning before they shot, the, the rules of the movie as is of just the text that we get feels like the thing only is revealed even to who is the thing when it's in danger. Yeah, so you're just as do- like an instinct. You're doing things, but you think they're normal yeah. even though right. you're thing-controlled. Yeah, and honestly, that if you it does make sense in a certain level. Apparently, that they would talk about this so long that the the camera operators would get upset because they're like, "You're delaying shooting while we talk about this." But if you think about it, that would be the perfect disguise because then you don't have to worry about acting natural. Like you right. are always going to be acting natural because you don't even know that you're the imposter. And then also, I think it adds an extra layer of horribleness, which is that oh, for sure. you are, and we see this replicated in other areas in the movie where you are perpetually a victim to this thing. Like it will right. absorb your soul in a way and you will, and it will perpetually victimize you from that point it's, forward. But does that you're mean that it's like a victim and you're always the monster? Yes. Yeah. Like, does that mean that like, it's also learning when it learns how to look like you, it's learning how to act human as opposed yes. to sugar water. Who sure. is trying so hard to act human, but yeah. very yes. clearly is not. Because the first one, the spider head guy, he, we see it try to talk. And maybe it's because it was a corpse a second ago. But it cannot talk. It's just like... Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that in the progression, we haven't seen him talk yet. It goes from weird dog noises to that. It, it is trying to figure out, like, and maybe at some point it's like, dude, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what's going on. I'm just like, trying to get home, man. Can everybody please leave <laughs> me alone? Mike. You stop me from building my goddamn ship? All I want to do is leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to put a mustache back on Wilf- Wilford Brimley. Uh, has a good guy <laughs> has a good guy with a gun ever fucked up harder than at the beginning of this movie? Is there a point to that maybe? Does this movie have a take on guns or violence in general? We talked about the lady thing. Uh is this ultimately what happens when 12 dudes are in a room? Like is this why they have uh different genders and in, in the real world? Yes. Honestly like yes. I mean when you have interpersonal conflict it's much easier for a man to deal with a woman than it is for a man to deal with another man. Like a lot of security guards are women because they do a better job of like not escalating situations. And of course, you know, this doesn't work for everybody. Um, It's not like a blanket statement, but it tends to be the case that a, a mix of men and women can tamp down situations where men just sort of get each other increasingly riled up. And then you throw Mm -hmm. guns into the situation. Like, Think about even the guy with the helicopter coming in. Like they're being so dangerous and so foolhardy, and they're, it's because they're they have flying these... so close to the ground. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the guy, like honestly, if he just stopped and they landed and he just took a bead, he might have a chance with it. He's got a long gun there and a scope. He might have a chance, but instead he's being so rash and then just like charging past strangers with a rifle. Right. Like he's acting like it says four seconds left on the ac- arcade game. Yeah, you got to start firing <laughs> away. Yeah. And so, Gotta hit the barrel to get more ammo. And I think that there really is something about, like, in the situation where that guy gets shot, it's not wrong to shoot him. It's not right. a bad idea to shoot him. But it definitely proves to be a pretty fatal mistake. If they had yes. just captured that guy, it would have been a lot better. And so I think it shows that if you introduce things like guns and flamethrowers into a situation, it then becomes, like, the only way people know how to deal with the situation right. is to reach for those tools. Which is uh, crazy because... When, go ahead, Mike. When every problem's a nail... Or when every tool you have is a hammer, every problem's a nail. Right. That's what it is. Is, well, we don't have the tool of communication, so I'm going to light my best friend on fire right now. <laughs> I mean, look what Kurt, Ru- Kurt Russell does right in the beginning, right? He's playing chess against the computer, and then when he can't win, he just absolutely yeah. oh. destroys it, right? And right. I was shocked I think by that. that is so important. That moment right there, you're like, oh, I know he's supposed to be our hero, but I also know how he deals with every problem from here on out. Yeah, and that's why I don't think that... I think Kurt Russell thinks that he's the hero, the actor. I don't think John Carpenter does. No, definitely not. I mean, he gives it all up in that scene, right? And he also calls her a bitch, which he puts a little extra stank on it. In a movie with no lady folk, um, the sort of like, you're a bitch and I'm going to like destroy you. I was also like, oh, that's don't waste that scotch. But it you turns love out that, that there's scotch. Plenty, that's there's your favorite plenty scotch. Of scotch. There's so much scotch. Yeah, I guess there's like a bottle well, in every shack. <laughs> Which is so, like, I think we talked about it earlier, but I think it's so interesting that before the movie starts, before there is a vicious thing, he has already separated himself from the rest of the crew. Mm. He has his own shack and his own space. I don't even know what Which his job I get. is. He's not now a captain. I'm He's not like a pilot. doctor. He's just the pilot. He's the pilot. He's yeah, one of the pilots. one of two. The stoner is the other one. Which yeah. I got it. Not to badmouth my people, but I don't know that like operating heavy machinery <laughs> he's like he's like i'll take you out there and someone's like no you're obviously stoned no. he's like well hey thanks for considering oh, the <laughs> denim vest guy yeah. yeah dude and the other stoner windows going back to the guns windows uh, is the like the froey guy who when everything's going nuts in the room and there is the thing he just right he's the one who runs with the rifles and bashes and, like yes. it looks like he will shoot everybody he's, yeah because he it, he is the the mccready without Mike. thinking 
because McCready's like, well, I'll shoot somebody I think might be the thing. Uh, and Windows is like, I will shoot fucking everybody right now because they might be the thing. And that's the, and it's again, too hard to figure it out. Like, it's, right. it's impossible to figure out. So he's like, well, I'll just eliminate everybody. Wouldn't you think that McCready was the stoner just based on his hat? His frontier grandma hat? No, because he's, he's a drinker. He's, you're not going to get... Uh, it, usually, it's you're either a drinker yeah, or a one stoner. Or the other. you got to be a juicer Glasses or a Glasses on, hood up, and then a fucking Yosemite Sam hat is a look. That, yeah, dude. That <laughs> hat, like, he was uh, two, like, feather earrings away from being a chick at Coachella. Like, that was a when, hat. When that hat... When he rolled in with that full uh, helicopter pilot outfit, I was so mad we weren't doing shopping spree. <laughs> yeah, dude. This was a movie for, for shopping spree. We'd all be sitting here with flamethrowers on right now. <laughs> I also take a flamethrower. And Mike and I would have three or four different rounds, chosen at different rounds, bottles of J&B scotch. And you know I'm getting that big uh, mouth tummy. Man, oh, I would love that. Oh, yeah, and I want that dog yeah. with all the tentacles coming out. I think that should come into my home. Yeah, no, that's what you need. Another that, another dog. <laughs> oh shit, gentlemen, it's speed round. Question the first. Should we all get shotguns? Yeah, yep. dude. Imagine us all sitting around having a shotgun. Anytime something's not going your way, you can just like kind of like prove your make your point a little bit better by cocking the shotgun. Or one you little didn't pump. get the point. Like I'm like, uh, Mike says a really what he thinks is interesting point about a movie and I don't give him the point. <laughs> that shotgun's getting cocked and it's getting but aimed with- at me. What's good is no ammo. So we're just constantly cocking the shotguns, yeah. but there's no ammo involved. What's awesome is that we're all such Linda Hamilton fans that we will all try to do it with one arm to break our arms Ow. and then not be able to use it. Not learn. Try it with the other arm. Then try it with our toe. Uh, there's a point where somebody runs for shotguns. That person's name is Windows. He gets into an argument with Mac. It's Mac versus Windows. Is that weird? I've heard that that was a they did not mean to do anything with that. That was not a purposeful joke. But it means something. Greg. It's hard to believe. Windows wasn't around then, so if they do re-remake this, should it be Justin Long and John Hodgman oh, playing absolutely. these two characters? Oh, hell yeah. As the thing. And and then um, also the dude you're getting Adele guy pops in. <laughs> uh, should Kurt Russell have been a bigger, st- even bigger star than he became yes. after this? Sorry. Oh, you weren't done. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, he is, one, a dreamboat. And he's in like some like elevated B movies, right? Yeah. But oh my God, should this guy have been in fucking everything? Were I'm you- gonna uh, not to not to be a hater. I'm gonna say the opposite though. I honestly think that he is the perfect star, and he's in the perfect position for his stardom, which is he always is like kind of punching above his weight in the movie. Like oh, he's like a, a little too good, a little too handsome to be in this, and I think it just works for him. I sort of agree. In fact, I'm not a big Kurt Russell person. I think that he's his range is small, and in real life, he's kind of a dick. He might be kind of a dick, but I guess I'm so blown away by him in this movie. Because I don't think McCready is necessarily an easy role. Were you a Big Trouble kid, Mike? Haven't seen it. Oh, wow. Is that going to is that gonna get me in Big Trouble? You should, you should watch that movie. It's a, dude, it's a good watch. And, and I haven't seen The these, Escapes. Watching these fun movies of the, the 80s, which all have their own kind of like distinctive feel, it, like, that movie is, is a good time. It really is. You should watch it. We should figure out what year it is and see if we could do that season. I want to be specific here when I ask this question. Does it matter? Because we've already addressed it. Does it matter if either Childs or Mac are the thing at the end? No. no. I mean, I, I think the, the question matters. Right. Um, yes. And their attitudes towards each other in that those final shots matter. But in a movie full of like open-endedness, I think this is the best example of the open-endedness really working. The 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 fact that that movie ends on them both like nihilistically, maniacally laughing. Yeah, <laughs> like, and oh yeah, that's real life, baby. I <laughs> like, think nothing Russell's, matters anymore. I think Russell's best mode of acting is like, 
can we just stop? Yeah. Like, we're not going to hurt each other. And like, is there any way we just call a TO, a permanent timeout forever? I do feel like, though, that if you just like clear your mind and reflect on it, it's pretty clear that McCready is is the last human and that that is the last thing popping in. Suddenly someone you haven't seen for a while shows up and is like, oh, I was somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just because we saw that happen before right. and humans are so dumb and obsessed with anecdotal evidence. We're like, well, that happened with Blair, so that probably happened with Child. Yeah. Where the Child is a volatile character and still has that. And I guess... I don't know. I, I would believe that they both are human and are still dying thinking the other one's a thing. You know what would work about that? Because Childs at one point says, I'll fucking kill someone even if I'm not totally sure that they're the... Yeah. And then uh, McCready actually goes and does that and kills somebody who they they prove is human. Yeah. And so in a way, man. they're both man killers. And so it would yes. work for both of them to be together, suspecting each other to death, basically. Like... Based and on how the movie hits. works, I would expect like a tentacle from each of their eyes to come out and high five. I'd just be like, <laughs> yeah, we're about to die. Actually, we're two things. Woo! Thing one and thing two. Off to Dr. Seuss we go. This is the Cat in the Hat prequel. <laughs> off, off to Dr. Seuss we go. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to give this movie some awards. It's award season every week on this show, and we're going to kick it off with recommendations. I sent everybody a memo. Uh, please do not pick Slither. That is too obvious. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start with Mike. What do you got? Uh, a movie I loved in high school. And at the time, people were like, it's so bad. I was like, yeah, but I think it's great. And rewatched it. And I was like, no, it's it, there was an era of like, what if we remade old movies with high school kids? Yes. Uh, yeah. And most of them are trash. Uh, but I think the faculty. The faculty. Hell yeah. With John, John Stewart's one good acting role uh, is so good and fun where the instead of testing their blood, their test is, can you do these drugs and not die? But, and Josh Hartnett is this like sexy, manic, McCready-style drug dealer kid, and Elijah Wood's in it. It's so fucking fun. Uh, and only now I've been like, oh, this is... like I knew Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but it owes so much to the thing. Clea Duvall, I swear to God, if you read the cast list for the faculty, I'm not sure I could get the name of the movie, but I would get the year for sure. Like, uh-huh. it's just... Usher? <laughs> Usher's in there. Faculty's pretty good. Greg, what do you got? Uh, so it's funny. You watch a movie like this that's so big, but you've never seen it. And you realize, okay, I've like seen the influences from this everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been enjoying them. Um, and the one that really probably people are going to roll their eyes, but I didn't know because I saw them in this order, Annihilation. Um, the what the fuck is going on and the answer being like it matters less what's going on and more how you react to what's going on the body horror the um, horror of that gets embodied in the performances of like am am I the person or am I the copy of the Mm -hmm. person and the way this like in a ship of Theseus type way each of us can ask that about ourselves like are we always the same person from memory to memory and when I remember being 10 in what meaningful way am I the same person as that person who was was 10 we are alien to ourselves uh, in addition to to these these the ways the movies dramatize that is by showing us these alien environments and we are denied answers in both of them in the same way that ultimately in life we are denied so many answers and that is kind of a compelling good thing about it but the 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 horror and the um being at once like oh wow that's a very cool melted bear and being like i don't yeah. like the melted <laughs> bear it's screaming in a weird way and like the i can't look away and i want to i want to watch this but i don't want to see it that kind of thing the isolation yeah 
Very Excellent much. pick. One of my favorite movies. Um, I went with something that uh, came out and was forgotten about, uh, barely talked about, super flop in the theaters, and then I think has gotten not to the level of the thing, but uh, cult classic. Maybe hasn't surpassed cult classic. Maybe just there, whereas the thing has just become cult. an actual classic. But it's called Stephen King's The Mist. And Ooh. I know that we were sort of trained to forget about uh, Stephen King movies, uh, movies based on Stephen King stories with Thomas Jane because the, the Dreamcatcher had come out five years before that, and that's straight up <laughs> one of the fucking worst movies I have ever seen. In my one, life. It's probably the worst book I've ever read. So that all works out. But The Mist is has sort of this thing that, uh, Mike, I think you were talking about with the thing of like, we're going to do the first act and second act as nihilistic as possible. And also the third act is going to be as well. And I think that's the shocker. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to we're actually going to finish the movie with this shit. And it's got a legendary ending like that people talk about all the time. Right. Um, but the first two, three fourths of the movie uh, has that same thing as well of just like that. The thing does of like we're all stuck in a grocery store. We're all super paranoid of each other. We don't know what's going on. And so even though there's like giant mist monsters coming in. We're also going to hate each other as well. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's an all-time classic, but I do know that it is much better than its critical and commercial reception was when it came mm. out. And I think that's Frank Darabont, a guy who I'm not a fan of anymore because of he sort of did unleash The Walking Dead on all of us. Well, his career is so weird because uh, the thing that put him on the map sucks. Which is Shawshank? Which is Shawshank. Yeah. And then a the different thing that Stephen he did King. later yeah. keeps fucking going. Uh but yeah, to talk about Annihilation is to get a point, Greg. You win the recommendation yeah. round. Let's go with grossest moment, Michael. Look, there's a lot of moments you could point out and be like, yeah, that was gross body horror. thing that grossed me out both a little visually and more because I think they could do it and had to do at least a part of it was hand in mouth. The thing was trying to <laughs> infect somebody else. He just shoved his hand in somebody else's mouth. And you could see the cheeks bulge. Yes. Yuck. At, Fucking yuck. And it looked great. And then the yes. guy walked away with his hand still dragging the body. And they had, like, at that point, they had, like, completely merged or something. Dude, yeah. that... Nasty. That was, yeah, one of the best effects for sure. And also, wasn't it Wilford Brimley's hands? Yes. Like, of all the hands uh, to be inside of your mouth, Wilford Brimley. And just, like, how strong he is to, like, drag it away. And you just, like, it's another moment where you're like, I don't really know what this thing is capable of. It's It was the same moment that I got from, uh, or the same feeling when I got when Khan got upset in Star Trek 2 and just lifted a guy up. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. fuck, this is how Khan you got, rolls. So you got that strong. going on. Okay. <laughs> Greg, grossest moment. For me, it's the initial autopsy that Wilford Brimley does where he probably infects himself with the, with the cell of the thing because he's so stupid he keeps touching it and then he like actually he Rubs points to it and then puts the pointer in his mouth or like he puts it on his <laughs> his uh lip i think it takes that's why it takes him a long time to turn because he doesn't get like bitten by the thing the cells just like find their way into him um but he, there's a part where he picks up just like a sack of viscera and i was just like this is the grossest thing i've seen in a long time <laughs> So initial autopsy, the alien autopsy, let's call it. I don't think it's coincidence that you both chose Wilford Brimley moments, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to give that one to Greg because I thought Brick. Mike's pick looked awesome. But yeah. I like a good hand in my mouth. <laughs> All righty, moving right along. Don't tell us about your bedroom stories. Greg, hottest Kurt Russell moment. Hottest Kurt Russell moment. I'm going to go with there's a shot tracking through the, um, the, sec the camp, the Norwegian camp. 
and he's standing like because he wants to show uh, the guys that he's with that he found like this big block of ice that something obviously came out of and he's got the shotgun kind of leaning on his hip and he's kind of leaning on that leg and it is such an iconic shot it's a really a beautiful image and i think he just looks so good in it so like um powerful and commanding and he looks like a rock and roll star mikey I don't know what this says about me, but he has been left for dead and found his way back in. And at this point, he has people tied to a couch. He has a flamethrower on, and his eyes look unhinged. Uh, and he's, like, about to put the the wire and do the blood test. And there's just – there's something about his crazy energy that is a smoke show, and he could do terrible things to my body. Well, I think this explains all of Mike's dating history right there. <laughs> now, uh, I'm going to go with Mike's because I think it's Mike. important to bring up that with a feathered hair – with the beard, the chiseled jaw, it's those baby blues. Dude, those baby mm-hmm. blues are just rocking. And Wyatt got them. Like a winter crystal. <laughs> oh, winter crystal. <laughs> don't we bring up that guy. Yeah, it's been so long. Uh, all right, Mike. Cringiest moment of the movie. Uh, the dog guy, who I think is named... Clark? Not Clark. Clark Richard and McCready instantly don't think child should be in charge. Mm. And they say, Very how about quickly. somebody a little more even-tempered? But we haven't seen Childs be not even tempered yet. Like he'll get there, but so will everybody else. So it really feels like, well, not the strong black guy. We're not going to let him be in charge right away. And I was just like, movie, you're going to deal with that though, right? <laughs> you're going to deal? With- no. Okay, I'll just feel uncomfortable about this moment. Then there's also uh, uh, Kurt Russell's like, you guys almost lynched me. I thought you'd be against that other black character. <laughs> and then when Wilford Brimley's freaking out, he's like, get out of here, you. And then he just doesn't say anything. Yeah. And Aww. I don't know. It sounds like the audio drops. And I'm like, what did Wilford Brimley say? He was improvising. There seems to be <laughs> un... They're like, uh, there's like race stuff very lightly hinted at in, in these right. ways. But ultimately, the movie does like... Like so many things, the movie kind of picks it up, but then doesn't do a ton with it and puts it back down. And this movie is sort of an elimination tournament. And the two black guys are part of the final four. Mm-hmm. Not that that should count for that much. I think the alien's racist. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true, Greg. Against white people. <laughs> the alien's like, where's white history month? <laughs> oh, he's one of those? Now I really hate him. <laughs> All right, child's not being made leader. Greg, what do you got? Uh, okay, so I... The dog acting in this is amazing, but there's clearly, like, a couple times where they're just fucking with dogs. Like, um, they freaked out those dogs. When they put in the model that doesn't look like the dog, I, like, they freaked out those pups. And one of, one of the things the model does is it sprays a dog with something that's supposed to be, like, poison or something. And I know that I know the dog was fine or whatever, but it's so distressed. And I'm getting a little bit tired of movies, like, being, like... We're not going to do the we're we're going to create this by actually just creating the situation and then filming it. No, that's like do you have to fake it. That's part of the movie is that you fake the thing and then you film it. If you just terrorize a bunch of fucking dogs and then film that and go like, look how scared the dogs are. Yeah, cuz you fucking scared the dogs. But and, I love that hands-off approach of like, look, we just set it up. We put the dogs there. Yeah. We fucking scared the shit out of them and we just filmed it and that's all we did. And I just there's a real New York Times reporting on a cop killed somebody kind <laughs> of thing. Their 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 fear of the actual dogs is so palpable and obviously not in any way fictionalized and it just it didn't feel right to me. It, it made me feel really gross. At one point a dog does an incredible job of jumping up and biting a chain link fence and like unwrapping the chain link yeah. and trying yeah. to get out of it. That was impressive. 
the whole time I was like, that Chandler Fanks better be made of beef jerky. <laughs> like, if you're making a dog chew a fence, I'll be very mad, John Carpenter. Uh, I'm going to give that one to Mike. Because people are people. Uh, Greg, director signature, John Carpenter. What do we think? I think it comes down to one of two things. The one I'm going to go with is um, the thing that really stuck out to me in this movie. And I'm not sure that it's a signature thing of his, but it just stuck out to me, which is something important is happening right now. And we are, instead of going to it, we are moving away from it. And the audience is aware that something important is happening. Like when the dog walks in and the camera just um, like fades out. And there are three or four times where the audience is just denied seeing what happens at the end of a scene. And that's a really strong choice. Was it weird though when it irised in onto the dog's head and then it went, what up, what up, what up, what up, and then Wah! cut? And then the head like <laughs> split into two. Yeah, with that sound. <laughs> in a freeze frame. <laughs> So I'm going to go with those sort of like um, fade outs. But like usually you see a fade out at the end of a scene that has resolved, not at the end, not in the middle of a scene that seems to be just climaxing. Mike, what do we got? Uh, I'm going to go with what I'm calling killer vision. Like he started in Halloween and I, everybody else did it after him, but I think he was the first of like, we're seeing it from Michael Myers' point of view, right? So it's through the blinds or around the corner and you can know it's, no, it's Michael Myers looking at Lori. Uh, and this one, he ratches up because he never shows you who's the vision it is. But it's obviously the thing is looking at people and then it just moves away. And so you never know because that's part of the whole conceit. Uh, like the, the the crowd, the audience never knows who has killer vision right now. But we, it's so unsettling watching something, the camera. And it's not like uh, Transformers, like shaking cam is bobbing up and down with something breathing cam. Or not even moving around a hallway. It's not predator heat vision cam. It's not like so distracting, but yeah, there's a couple of times where like he's on a floor and he's like, the camera is like looking down the stairs and then yeah. over uh-huh. here and just like sort of moving around. Who is my next victim? Or depending on what you think of the thing, how do I get the fuck out of here and All away these from these crazies people? are trying yeah. to kill me? <laughs> uh, I like both of those, honestly. Um, I'm gonna give you guys both a point, uh, but for me, it's absolutely the blood burning scene. I think that he is the person who. Even after zombie movies and whatever came before him, he's the person who was like, oh, I'm going to make Michael Myers walk real slow, and I'm going to make Kurt Russell take as long as fucking possible to put a hot coil or whatever in this blood. Yeah, they could have done that so quick, but they took so long yeah. to do it. And I think that well, is Carpenter as fuck. McCready has a flair for drama. They don't talk about it, but headcanon, he was a theater kid. All right, Mike, I'm, I'm a little excited about where you're going to go with this. Pound for pound performance. We've only had humans be nominated before. What do you got? Pound for pound is a good thing to say, Ryan. <laughs> no. Yeah, I thought the dog was great, but come on. Uh, it's... It, it is just the Kurt Russell show. I had arguments for Childs. I had arguments for Brimley. But I think what Kurt Russell does throughout the movie, uh, and it says, goddamn baby blues, you fall into him and you're... I don't even care if he is the thing. He... I understand why they make him in charge. He is has this like pretty low-key energy char- charisma. Like Tom and Hiddleston? Just takes, like Tom Hiddleston. Yes. Now that I remember who that is. Yes. Uh you're like, yeah, I'll follow you. Like, you might not always be right, but somebody has to take charge, and you have the skill of saying, I guess I'll do it. That's the thing is that uh, these characters are in a movie, so the fact that they were like, no, child, you will not be the leader, and we hopefully mean no racial tension And there. no, I won't go into why I'm saying that. <laughs> I don't. <Okay>? I'll <laughs> tell like, you what it's not, though. Racism. That's the one it's <laughs> definitely not. I'm sure of that. 
Uh, all of them said, I'm the least racist person you've ever met, which is uh, one of my favorite I'm the least racist person <laughs> you've ever met. <laughs> Point guns at each other. But then they all throw it to Kurt Russell because they're in a movie, you know? And that's what makes the most sense inside of a movie, you know? Like, you're Kurt it's, fucking Russell. It's not just because it's a movie, though, because even Gary, who is ostensibly and rankly, because that's a word, rankly. in charge, who's the person who's like, we're all scared, but this is what should happen. He's just the first person who isn't, hesitating and sometimes hesitating and thinking is good but instead he doesn't hesitate and so they're like i guess he's in charge greg pound for pound performance i yeah the thing you want to go cute and say wilford brimley because i really liked a lot of what he did and he had to go through a lot of different sort of phases of that performance my favorite part is definitely when he's like i'd like to come back inside now and you just want to scream to the tv like can't you see how different he's acting something is up come on uh but it's it is Kurt Russell. It just is. Um, we again. It's like we need someone who is feels like they're supposed to be in a little bit of a better movie than they are in, and that's him. Like he just he feels like he's got a little bit more star power than the movie warrants, and I think the camera loves him for it. The camera does love him, and also, what a way to blast this out of ensemble piece because this should have been right. If yeah. this was, right. uh, it worked hard to be Tony Hale or Martin Freeman, then this would have yes. been an ensemble piece. Or Fred Willard, I guess. We'll bring all three of the guys. Um, Let's remake that version. <laughs> John Michael Higgins can play Fred Willard. Uh, but yeah, I, Mike. I will give special bonus Mike. points to Wilford Brimley, who I really do think stole the show in every scene he was in. Yeah. And did not have a mustache. And you don't really expect it because he's such like a gentle guy. But he does, like, he gives you a lot of different survivor types. Like, the I'm going crazy and I'm going to work against the interests of all the other humans, but I'm still human. Right. That's yeah. awesome. That I'm building a spaceship against, under my hut. It's against their interest on base, it's in the interest of everybody else on the planet. Yeah, that's what's I like. Some people are like, was he the thing when he did that? No, obviously he wasn't because no. the thing would have loved to be able to have a way to fly away. Wait, he's food. Cool. He is. I think he's undergoing the beginning process of like thingification and he's mm-hmm. part of it is causing him to act maybe a little rashly. But that's a that's a good call on his part. Destroying yeah. everything. But yeah, I love the idea of like things first day out and things second day out. Like we haven't gotten the human thing yeah. yet. Uh, I would have loved it more if Wilford Brimley was like, look, let me in the house. I'm not going to harm anyone, and I'm not building a spaceship in an ice basement under the sea. Uh, and I don't have diabetes. There we go. Now, there it is. why do I know that name? He's just a name I've always known. He's from known, Cocoon. But I, he's from fool. Cocoon. Okay, and Cocoon. Cocoon the Return. And The Natural. And The Natural. So a bunch of movies and, Mike hasn't uh, seen. a lot of, like, oat commercials. And then... Was he in an orange juice commercial? That's Robert Loja. Okay. That's a different guy. He's just uh you usually see him with a mustache. If you I think if you look yes. him up with a mustache, you'll be like, Oh yeah, I recognize that guy. The walrus. He's just man. a human walrus. <laughs> uh we're gonna take a break. I'm gonna figure out who won this fucking game, and then we're gonna talk about does the thing have a chance to tentacle its way <laughs> all the way to the top of the pyramid? Gentlemen, that is it. I have the results here, but before we get to the mic. Earlier in the show, Greg had said, I don't know if the thing has a chance of winning this. Now we're 90 minutes of podcasting later. We're six hours of real time later. But 90, <laughs> 90 minutes of podcasting. It's our process. <laughs> Mike, do you agree? No, we were on a full break where we should talk about normal things. And we were still just having a different oh, thing conversation. Remember that part of the thing where the thing that was That wasn't like, ah, one of the, the three thing. questions. Uh, it is so 1982, and it is so timeless, and that's what we friggin' want. Uh, I the think movie this... E.T. came out in 1982. 
Come on. But what what movie actually comments on reality? Not fucking E.T. The Adams uh, Family. Da, 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 da. I I think this could be the sleeper hit of the season. I agree. I like right now. I'm saying, especially with. Typically, we we go to this and we're like, well, Das Boot will be the uh, you know the underdog because that's like the you know non blockbuster that we threw in just to sound cool. I this is this is like Das Boot but with aliens, man, and tentacles. I like it a lot more. I've grown a lot since I made that comment at the beginning of the show. <laughs> But I still, I guess I still stand behind the thrust of it. I think it it has a much better chance than I initially said. But I just don't, I just don't see it happening. Maybe it will, but I just, I just don't see it. Um, it's my favorite horror movie. You know, like I, I, I would say that for sure. It's one of my favorite movies I've ever seen for this show. I just don't. I honestly just don't see it winning. I get that. I just uh, to get Greg to say like this is good despite or because of being horror. I think I that we have made huge strides here. Very proud. Uh, Mike, who do you think won? I think I'm contractually obligated to say Greg. Yeah, but who do you think won? I think I won this one for the first time ever, which means Greg. it's going to hurt more when Greg wins. Greg, who do you think won? I also think Mike won. <sighs> Mike did have 29 points, but Greg had 34. Oh! 34 oh, big-ass oh, points. does hurt more. It does hurt more. It's so weird, but when I was watching the movie, I was like, I'm enjoying this so much, I think I have a chance to win the game. I did think <laughs> that. I, I was like, I know that they're enjoying <laughs> it too, and I think if I come in there and just be like, you guys, I liked it, that that's going to like get me a couple extra points here or there. He's not wrong. In the meantime, Mike is like the horror fan. He's all, he's the only person who had seen the thing before, even though it was a year ago, and he was like, oh, this is a slam dunk for me. I'm going to win this, no problem. Lost it's by five. It's the first time I've ever thought that. Farts. <laughs> yeah, I know. that you, you were like, well, I have to say that I think Greg did. I was like, oh, this, <laughs> this poor boy is going to get his heart just absolutely shattered. What if you had just said, I think Greg won, and then stopped fucking talking? And never believe in yourself. <laughs> never. No. Absolutely not. Well, guys, that's it. Uh, we have... We're getting down to it. Like we're almost I know, out I'm of not, 1982. I and you know what? I'm not ready to be done with it. I've been enjoying these movies so much, and it has been such an eye-opening experience. And like, do you remember when we did 75? And it, like, a, a lot of the 75 ness of the movies was like, fuck. I from like Rathacon to Poltergeist to the thing. I love the 82 of this. I, I wish lo- I was a lot. I wish I was like aware in 82 so I could mm. say to people, movies are back, baby. Because <laughs> I think I would have been saying that a lot during 82. This two-year-old has some thoughts. <laughs> what does he mean they're back? Like, has he even seen these? Why is he smoking his pacifier? <laughs> does he sound like a 65-year-old man? <laughs> yeah, the films are back. The motion pictures are bigger than they've ever been before. But yeah, unfortunately, everything does have to come to an end. We've got Tootsie coming up, and we've got uh, uh, Pay Pigs are getting a uh, Piranha 2. Yes, the Piranha the 2 watch along. The watch along. Uh, which I think we should probably ask Caitlin to be on. Uh, she loves animals. Big Piranha fan. Yeah. That one. And she's a Pay Pig. But until then, keep watching that movie. <laughs>